Podcast. The Gospel according to Matthew was written by a former tax collector who was transformed by the power of Christ. Instead of keeping records for Rome, now he would keep records for God, carefully recording all that Jesus said and did. Matthew references more than 60 Old Testament prophecies, proving Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah. Jesus really is who he claimed to be, our Savior and soon returning King. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. Alrighty, I welcome you back to your seats, everybody. It is good to see you, <laughs> quite literally. Alrighty, let's have a word of prayer. That always helps settle things down. Heavenly Father, now we ask you, Father God, to quiet our hearts and our minds as we make room for your living word. Father God, just uh, quite a dramatic and graphic text before us here in Matthew 14. Yet, Father, your word, it just brings life no matter what we're talking about. There's encouragement for us, your people. So we pray that we would learn vicariously through the sins of others in this passage, God, how to live right before you and be blessed and not suffer those consequences. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last month was a big birthday month in our family, Uh, July. I was born in July, Uh, my son was born in July, and his son was born in July. And so we have the birthday boys and we get together. You know, birthday parties growing up, they're always fun, aren't they? But even better is when we grow up and we get to uh, make our kids so happy and bless them at their birthday parties and now that our kids have grown up we uh, we really miss that barb of course would make uh, a theme out of every birthday and over the top <laughs> amen okay and uh, and uh you know jordan and i would go to disneyland every year september it was really nice we need to start doing that again uh, but the grandkids, you know, you can do it with the grandkids, man, and even better, right? And so we took Xander, because uh, our options were so uh, limited as <laughs> what you could be doing these days. And so we took him to Target. Uh, <laughs> We put him in a basket, and we said we just started uh, shopping around. He turned four, you know, and and I got to tell him, whatever you want, point to it, it's yours. <laughs> and so we went down every aisle, and he's like, seriously? Seriously? <laughs> you know, and thank the good Lord, he pointed well. <laughs> he pointed <laughs> He pointed well, and so no greater joy than making memories, but birthdays are not always happy occasions, especially when grown-ups are behaving badly. I read last month in Vallejo, a birthday party for a toddler where the grown-ups were feuding, pulled out their weapons, shots were fired, five were in the hospital, and one person died at a birthday party. Alcohol was a contributing factor, the article said, as always. Well, interestingly and sadly enough, uh, there's a birthday party recorded in the Gospels that doesn't go very well either. Here in Matthew 14, where adults are behaving badly, where alcohol is a contributing factor before King Herod can blow out all the candles on his wretched birthday cake, a Bible hero is going to end up dead and under the most wicked circumstances. So let's go to that party and learn a few things, starting at chapter 14. The verses will 
be on the screen for you. Verse 1, at that time and around the time Jesus was preaching the parables. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch, it means ruler of a fourth. He's like a governor. Herod the governor, the wannabe king actually, heard the reports about Jesus. And he said to his attendants, this is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, it's against God's law for you to have your brother's wife. But, verse 5, Herod wanted to kill John. But he was afraid of the people because they considered him a prophet. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for them and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever her heart wanted, whatever she asked for. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to mommy dearest. Verse 12, John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus, everything. Well, with that <laughs> concludes the uh, happy birthday party of a wretched king with a wretched dysfunctional family like none other. Um, we have before us one of the most encouraging passages in the Bible, in my humble estimation. Jesus, knowing full well the, the total depravity the wickedness of these people at this party and knowing exactly their crimes against somebody he loved dearly will still go to the cross and lay down his life for them. For everybody you read about in this story, he loved enough to continue his mission to go to the cross and lay down on a piece of wood that he created, because he created all things, because he's God, to die so that they might have a way of escape the condemnation they well deserve, the wrath that they deserve, and instead get mercy and love and eternal life. And so let's go to the birthday party. The birthday boy has made a wish and instead of blowing out the candles, he decides to extinguish the life of who Jesus called one of the, he called John, the greatest character of the Old Testament because he introduced to Israel and the world the Lord of glory. So, I have here, by the way, the only time a Jehovah's Witness ever made me laugh out loud was when I said, what's up, by the way, with the no birthday parties? How sad to be a Jehovah's Witness as a kid. You're not allowed to have a birthday party. And he goes to me, he says, do you remember reading about what happened at King Herod's birthday party? <laughs> <laughs> and it made you LOL too, right? And did you ever read about what happened at church to Ananias and Sapphira? Struck dead right in front of the offering box. Bam! Did we stop going to church because something scaly happened there? <laughs> but I digress, as I often do. So, yeah, a very nasty gathering John had a phrase, and Jesus quoted him too, a brood of vipers, a little hole of nasty serpents, a perfect depiction. 
And so here we go. Jesus is really going to die for these people to change their destinies. It's just a wonderful thought. Uh, these 12 verses divide quite nicely, really. And uh, verses 1 and 2, we have a conscience ignored. Verses 3 and 4, we have a king who is warned. Verses 5 and eight through 8, we have a woman scorned. Verses 9 through 12, we have disciples forlorn. So they rhyme a little bit, okay? A conscience ignored, a king who's warned, a woman scorned, and disciples forlorn. I was talking to a builder here on, what was it, Friday night or Saturday night? And uh, he said, you know, I, he was building something. I said, how do you just do that? And he said, it just pops in my head. I know how to build. That's what I do. And I told him, you know, when I prepare sermons, just, just that's what I do. It pops into my head. I'll be driving in the car, and I'm, I'm thinking, ignored, warned, scorned, forlorn. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Doesn't everybody think that when they read this passage, you know? And, and so it kind of helps you remember stuff, right? So... Uh, now we are going to dive in here. He says here, uh, we got the verses up there for you, one and two. I like to paraphrase as you read along, okay? It was around that time, uh, that word on the street reaches Herod, the Tetrarch, right? The wannabe king. In fact, Mark's account calls him King Herod because that's what they called him. Uh, so the wannabe king hears the news about Jesus' miracles and what he's doing, verse 2, and he tells his staff, and the word means his boys, um, oh no, this must be John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead and he's going to come and get me with his magic powers. Okay, uh, That's kind of a paraphrase, all right? But that's what's going on there because he has a conscience. He's ignoring it. And it manifests itself here with a delusional paranoia. So let's uh, get to know this Herod a little bit better. He comes from a dysfunctional family. And if you don't know which Herod it is, I don't blame you because there are quite a few. And so I've, I've, I've got a, a slide here with a chart, <laughs> okay? Herod is a title, and so you just never really know who you're dealing with. So, of course, we've got Herod the Great, who's famous at the top there for ordering the death of all those babies uh, around uh, Christmas time. And he dies, but the four sons who survived him, because he would kill his sons and his wives, he had about ten of them, uh, if they got in his way. Now look at the the guy on your left, Aristobulus, he's one of the Herods. He has a daughter, and that daughter marries his brother, Philip. That means Philip all the way to the right. Philip is married to Herodias. Let's call her the bad gal in the story. This is her start in life. So the niece, she... Uncle Philip marries his niece. Okay? <laughs> it's going to get even more uh, interesting. Uh, uh, and so, Philip's brother, Antipas, who's next door there by one, right? He visits Philip and Herodias and seduces Herodias away. And now, Herod Antipas, who is the only Herod in the Gospels, besides the father who's dead now, right, who killed the babies. So anytime you read about Herod in the Gospels, you're reading about number three there, Herod Antipas. Now he's married to his niece as well, because he's the brother of her father. All right? So he's married to his uh, niece. And and uh, we could go on there. Uh, there's a uh, uh, Aristobulus's son, Agrippa number one, is the Herod from Acts chapter one through twenty-four. So uh, he is the one, for example, who put James, the brother of John, to death by the sword. 
in Acts 12. And in Acts 13, he's the one, an angel of the Lord struck dead, and he dies, and he's eaten by worms. You remember that happy little detail? Yes. Well, then his boy is the one who listens to Paul in the latter chapters of uh, the book of Acts. And so he's the one who says, you've almost persuaded me to become a Christian. So there you go, the Herods, it's quite a swamp. It's the first original swamp. You know, you thought it was Washington. It's actually the dynasty of the Herods. And so no worries, Jesus will drain this swamp uh, when he appears in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, says, the wonderful counselor, the almighty God, the prince of peace, the everlasting father, will come and the government will be on his shoulders. And of his reign and peace, there will be no end. And so that's a happy way to think about the Herods, okay? Because their days are numbered. Amen. Well, he's got a dysfunctional family, and he's also got a guilty conscience. So let's get back to that. Thank you. Uh, all right. And so you know what a conscience is. A teacher asked a fourth grade little boy, what's your conscience? And he said, it's the thing that makes you tell your mom what happened before your sister does. <laughs> Did you know that the IRS has a conscience fund that you can donate anonymously to clear up your conscience of not sending in the proper amount of taxes. They got a letter with a $1,000 check and it said, I've been having trouble sleeping lately. My conscience is bothering. Here's a check for $1,000. If it keeps on bothering me, I'll send you the rest. <laughs> I have a happy face by that. I have a smiley face. Now, have you ever heard the saying, a guilty conscience needs no accuser? He tells his boys in Mark's account, Mark chapter 6, by the way, this is John, whom I beheaded. Oh, nobody brought John up. Nobody's asking you to relive your crimes out loud. But as soon as he hears that this is about Jesus, in a delusional paranoia frenzy, he says, this is John because I killed him. He's come back to haunt me. And the reason he has uh, magical, mysterious, miraculous powers is because I beheaded a righteous man and now God's given him powers and he's going to use those powers. He's coming this way. And that's kind of the gist of what's going on there. Nobody pointing the finger. <laughs> Nobody has to remind him of his dark deed. God has given us a, something called a conscience and it's doing its job. It's trying to uh, prod him to the light to come and find relief, and that's what a conscience has been given us for. Proverbs 28 and verse 11, I should say, verse 13, uh, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And the only way that you're prodded that way is to feel the remorse and the guilt that the conscience was designed to help us with. And so, yeah, Proverbs 28 also says a murderer's tormented conscience will drive him to the grave. He'll be a fugitive for life. And this is this poor guy's uh, problem. He's a tormented soul, and he sees this talking head. Why did you kill me? You know, speaking to him. Reminds me of Edgar Allan Poe. He had a story that we were subjected to read in the sixth grade, which is now I would consider child abuse, to, to have to read the telltale heart. Look it up. I'm not even going to tell you about it. Uh, but yeah, the, the ghost of a guilty conscience. And so it doesn't even make sense. He knows that Jesus was alive and with John together. You know, he knows that. But he's delusional because a suppressed conscience will, will present itself in mental illness. Uh, I was reading uh, 
an article in the National Institute of Health on this, and it said a major factor in delusional paranoia is unresolved guilt. In other words, I deserve punishment, so therefore everything and everyone is out to get me. Oh, doesn't that make perfect sense, right? Listen to King David with his depression. He's depressed here in Psalm 32 that we read this morning. He, he, he writes about it. He says, when I refused to come clean, I felt like my life was dwindling away. I lived in misery day and night, completely depressed out of my mind. Finally, I confessed my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And then he says, what joy it is for somebody whose sins are covered, whose guilt has been washed away. That is a huge benefit of the gospel huge benefit is to just know that all your sins, past, present, future, all of them were laid on the sin bearer. He bore our sins, all of them. And then he says, it is finished, paid for in the Greek, paid for. So really, you know, some people, before we move on, some people will say a lot of the times, I really felt guilty that, and then you hear it, it's like, why would you feel guilty for that? You know, so what I tell people is, save the guilt feelings for when you really need them. Because <laughs> you, you, you will need them, because you will sin, right? And, and so don't be saying you're guilty here, you're guilty there, you're guilty. You say, I feel bad about something. I'm pretty down about this, or I'm bummed out, but you're not guilty. Save that for when you need it, because guilt will help you to come to the light and confess and get right with God. And so uh, keep short accounts, really, not like King Herod, who had a rap sheet a mile long. And, and, and let's talk about that. In Luke 3, I love it. It says, so Herod, on top of all his other sins, added this one to the list. He had John thrown into prison. So let's talk about that. We can go on. And now Matthew's going to tell you uh, why and how this all happened. Verse uh, 3 and 4, I will paraphrase. So John ends up uh, getting arrested. He, he ended up arresting John, had him cuffed and tossed into the dungeon on account of Mrs. Herod. That's what Herodias means. It just is the feminine form of Herod. So Mrs. Herod, all right? Formerly his brother's wife. Because John had called him out publicly, verse 4, what you've done is against God's law. You, you, your marriage to your brother's wife is a sham. And we'll see later that new wifey doesn't take that very well. And so we go from a conscious a conscience ignored uh, to a tetrarch warned. Okay, so uh, John is going to rebuke Herod uh, for his sin. And in the Greek, it's in the imperfect mode, which means he kept on doing it, right? Because God is working in Herod's life. Not only does he use a conscience to keep you from going to hell, to save you in love, he uses his law. So now he stepped it up a little bit and made it very clear. You know what your conscience is going to bother you about? is because you have uh, done something wrong. And so this is what he does. No, no, one writer said, the Holy Spirit is knocking here. We can see God working to seek and save the lost. Having first uh, been thoroughly warned, nobody will perish without having encountered the Holy Spirit and the truth of uh, God's word because he loves us. He takes no delight in the death of the wicked and these guys qualify for wicked, right? And he doesn't want them to die. He wants them to live. Ezekiel 33 verse 11 I take no delight in their death but rather that they would turn and live these wicked ones and so that includes these lovebirds, right? Well, I, I have written down here more like turkey vultures uh, <laughs> but yeah, so he works using our consciences and he prods us to come to him and be saved. And the law does exactly that. 
The law wasn't given in expectation of us keeping it. Galatians chapter 3 verse 19 says, God gave the law to show people their sins and to lead us to Christ. He knew we couldn't keep them for a weekend if our lives depended on them. We break them all. <laughs> we break them all. And so what law did John bring out by saying it's unlawful what you did? Actually, there are three strikes against King Herod here. Number one, thou shalt not commit adultery. Number two, Leviticus 18 says you shall not marry a close relative like your niece. You know, um, and then there's the and number three, uh, you cannot, thou shalt not marry your brother's wife, for this dishonors your brother. So three specific commands. The one John's talking about is the third one. You can't have your brother's wife. What you've done is against God's uh, law. Therefore, what? Therefore, therefore, what? Therefore, repent. You've done something against God. Or he's calling you out so you'll turn around and come and find mercy and have life. You see? So yeah, he's broken more than three commands, too. And by the time the party's over, there's probably a hundred things, a hundred sins that are happening at that party. So one writer said sins are like germs. They're like bacteria under the microscope. They form little chains. It's hard to see where one sin starts and the other leaves off. You see? You just tell one lie. <laughs> just one lie. And what comes of that one lie, just dozens of other sins are connected. And so we need to stay away from that. And so, yes, here's a compilation. We'll move forward now. Now, this is an expanded paraphrase, and what I've done is brought in Mark's material that's unique to Mark. All right, so verse 5. So Herod would have straight up killed John at first, but he lacked the courage. He was afraid of the repercussions because everybody believed John was a prophet. Verse 6. So on his birthday... He invited the high officials and military commanders. This is all in Mark. All the military guys, all the leading men of the city, and his wife's daughter from another marriage came in. Her name's Salome. It's not named, but Josephus names her, the historian. And she danced for the guys. It made Herod so delirious, he promised with an oath I'll give you whatever you ask, up to half of my kingdom. Prompted by her mother, she says, please bring to me the head of John the Baptist on a silver platter, please. She doesn't say silver, right? But we say that. In English, we'll say, I want something done, and bring it to me on a silver platter. But we add the silver. It's not in the text. But we're inspired by this uh, sad little statement. You know, you might not want to use that statement now that you know where it comes from. So the conscience is, conscience is ignored, and the tetrarch is warned, and now the woman scorned. Now, you know the full saying of hell hath no fury like? You've heard this before somewhere. And if you're thinking it was Shakespeare, well, you're close. It was another British playwright by the name of William, last name Congreve, uh, 1697. He's the source of that statement. Uh, he had a character named Queen Zara, who was caught in a love triangle and she was spurned and she unleashed the fury after her betrayal. And so the odd thing here is, is that the odious Herodias, <laughs> I came up with that one. You're not going to find that one anywhere <laughs> except in my notes with a smiley face here. The, uh, well, uh, odious means extremely unpleasant or repulsive. Come on. Give me the head of this prophet at a party? No. No. And so, yeah, her problem is 
that she was put on blast, as we like to say, became indignant by being publicly exposed for the adulteress that she was. And Mark 6 and verse 19 says she nursed a grudge and conspired to kill him. Nursing a grudge all of those days, day in and day out. Now get this, Mark 6 says something interesting. She wants to kill him, but hubby has a change of heart. Yes, he was all for killing him in the beginning, remember? But he didn't want to start a riot or lose his job or something, you know? But something's been happening. He's been hearing the windows are open. And John, he can belt out a sermon, John can. He's used to the desert, right? And so he maybe can't sleep. And, and here's, look what it says in John, in Mark 6 here. I've got it for you. So Herodias nursed her grudge against John the Baptist and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because here and now he fears John and is protecting him from her. Knowing, knowing, knowing knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to John the Baptist. Wow, second thoughts. He's having second thoughts. Now, most of you know that our second thoughts are often better than our first thoughts because we get initial impressions like, who is this loud mouth? How dare you tell me how I can live my life? All that matters is you love a person, right? Are you t- telling me I'm doing something wrong? I divorced the current one. And yeah, you know, we like each other, okay? You got a problem with that? Yeah, God does have a problem with that. And so, but then in the meantime, he's hearing John's preaching, right? And echoing up is the goodness of God, the wages of sin is death, uh, the coming judgment, the axes at the tree, chop, chop, Matthew 3, right? And so, what does it say? He likes to hear it. He, he, there's something about it that, that is drawing him down there. Hey, make the gospel. Do the thing. Talk to me about it, because I like it. But he's puzzled. Oh, this got me going. This got me going. But you're puzzled? I wish I could have talked to him right there. What are you puzzled about? What are you puzzled about? You brood of vipers, he says. This is from John's uh, original sermons, right? You brood of snakes. How evil and nasty you are. Repent. Turn around. Stop it. That God has got an axe in his hand. You're the tree. He's going to chop you down and throw you in the fire. I'm puzzled. (laughs) I I could go on for days about this. What's puzzling you? But then I started thinking, this is what all unbelievers do who want to hold on to their sin. Oh, they like it. I'm so happy for you. The moral character of the gospel and we're a Christian nation and, you know, whatever. They're all for it. They like to hear it, but they want to, they're confused. Here's Here's what they're puzzled with. How can I continue to be me and love my sins and live my own life and come to Christ? I'm, how does that work? I'm so confused. <laughs> you don't need to be confused. You can just listen and then you come and you repent and you become somebody who's new and different, not with you clinging to your sins and your old way of life. The only people who are puzzled by a simple gospel. There's a heaven, there's a hell, Jesus died for you, and you want to go to heaven or hell? I'm puzzled. The only, <laughs> the only reason you're puzzled is because you want to hold on to your sin. As soon as the truth becomes more important, you will not be puzzled anymore. So the wife wants him dead. He's convinced he's a righteous and holy man. That's, that's unbelievable to me. And in light of what happens. And the wife wants him dead, but he's got him away somewhere in the dungeon that she can't reach him. He's protecting him. That's unbelievable. Now, what a very great way we could have read and had. This is a start. This is a start to repentance. He could have gotten saved. He was on the road. 
But the road to hell is paved with good intentions. It started out, hey, you're a good guy after all. Hey, I like to hear this gospel. Hey, it's a lot different. And, and he's had a change of heart, but he doesn't go through with it. How many people will be in hell, sadly, that thought a lot about repenting and like to hear the message? And we're, th- and we're thinking, oh, you know, someday I'm probably going to do that. But they died. But they died. And you know, that does happen to people. Now, out comes, uh, back to the story, do we have the text there? Out comes Salome. Salome is the daughter from Philip, the first marriage. She brought her into the marriage. And her name means peace, from a derivative of Shalom. Shalom, right? Now, my, I have an interesting thought here is that perhaps Philip and Herodias named her because of what was on their mind, because what they needed most in their sick, twisted, empty, royal lives was some peace. They name her peace because they're looking for it, but in all the wrong places, like on the dance floor, satisfying their lustful cravings of their sinful nature. And so the grammar is clear, I hate to say, but she's performing for them. And they're all men, leading men, military men, soldiers, soldier men, all of that. It's not rated G. What is she, 15, 16? And they're not drinking Diet Coke. And now it's a den of iniquity, another term that we've adopted from Jesus, who called them called the temple a den of thieves, and we've adapted that to a den of iniquity. So things deteriorate, and now it's a drunken men's club, and uh, his blood niece, his stepdaughter, his own wife's daughter, his great niece is now a burlesque star at his birthday party. Yuck and sad. Uh, Not uncommon though, right? That's what grown-ups do, the lost ones. They are so caught up in their own lusts and their own drama and what they want, they put their kids through hell. So where is the grown-up to help this teenage girl? to mentor her in righteousness and the right ways and the path that leads to life. Oh, there's, there's no grown-ups in the room. It's a bunch of grown toddlers, right? And, and really sad, and, and really sad when grown-ups do that. You know, marriages will split, and then the mom poisons the daughter or the son, and oh, it's just terrible, or the other way around. And so... Just the, just terrible things like that. And so uh, no grown-ups in the room. She's being mentored down the wrong path. Where's Queen Vashti? You remember Queen Vashti in Esther chapter 1? Same sort of thing happening here. The king gave in, uh, this in honor of himself a big party, and everybody was there, and the wine was flowing, and he gets this idea, Xerxes, remember? He goes, my wife is so gorgeous, I'm going to show her off to these guys. Well, she was hosting the gals, and they were having their own banquet, right? So he sends word to her, I want you to come in here. We're all kind of... It says in the scriptures he's a little drunk at the time. The wine had been flowing down his lips, right? And so he sends word to Vashti, come in and come in and show all these guys, my wife, this is my wife, you know? Do a little dance. And she sends a word back saying, I'm busy. (laughs) No, I'm not going to... to your drunken party and come and dance before those lascivious men. You can look it up later. (laughs) And you know, it costs her. It always costs you when you stand up to the wicked in this world. And maybe you'll be seeing her in heaven. Uh, So onward, Herod belches, and then he starts running off his mouth. 
He's uh, downed one too many, and he swears by an oath, you know, up to half of my kingdom. To keep on dancing? Probably. So she goes to mommy. Dearest, Mark tells us this. She runs out to mommy. Because, you know, she, she shows, what should I ask? Tuition at the University of Alexandria? <laughs> no. Uh, how about my own personal chariot? Mom, I, you know, or how about a position in his administration? Oh, I could be ambassador to some other country. <laughs> uh, uh, how about, you know, a villa overlooking the Mediterranean? He said up to half of my kingdom and he's wealthy. Mom, what do you think? What do you think? So odious Herodias reapplies her lip gloss <laughs> and she says, oh, no, 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 my darling. And then she gets the Cruella de Vil smile. And she says, now it's time, darling, to make our move, right? I want John's head on a platter, and it says in the Greek, now. Ooh, we don't need any time. We don't need a cooling off period. We want this to happen now, because her hate for John was hot. Now, the girl has some options. Granted, she's 15 or 16, whatever she is. She's got no bone to pick with the Baptist. This is all secondary offense, all from mom, everything mom's been muttering. So she's picked up maybe perhaps something there, but she certainly doesn't have a problem with them. Just what poison she's heard from mama bear. And now wouldn't it have been nice for her to put her hands over her ears? You could have read this. And then mom, and to burst into tears and run out screaming with her hands over her ears. You could have heard that. You could have heard that. We have, we have options. It doesn't matter who's telling us to do what. And it doesn't matter how old you are. If you're old enough to dance at a party like that, you're old enough to say, no, Mom, you must be kidding me. I'd rather live in a tent in the backyard. Go ahead and disown me. That's the truth, right? And so Herod, what about Herod? You know, he has options too. He has options. There's the term void where prohibited, right? So one writer said, vows made where deception or illegality or immorality come into play are null and void because such caveats are prohibited. In other words, somebody says, hey, listen, I got to tell you something. Swear right now that you won't tell anybody. And so you're not thinking. So you say, okay. Of course, I swear, God, what are you going to say? Well, you know what? I've been struggling with this thought. I really want to take out this guy, you know? I've got it all planned out. Well, <laughs> you can break that promise. You really can. <laughs> you can really pick up the phone and break the promise because it's not really a vow. It's not a promise uh, when you are an accessory to murder, <laughs> right? And so, yeah, I mean, common said, sorry, Salome, you know? So, so, you know, he could have said, listen, sorry, Salome, I can't murder a holy and righteous man who I've come to realize is a holy and righteous man. I can't do that for you. So just because your mom wants him dead. So try something else. How about a trip to Spain? You know, I don't know. <laughs> I hear it's really nice weather there in Mallorca. <laughs> yeah, okay, moving on. Let's finish up. I thought it was a good idea here to finish up. So Herod was aghast. The word means aghast, and one Bible translation has it. <clears throat> Excuse me, Herod was aghast, but he thought, you know, an oath is an oath. And what will my buddies think here? So he immediately, immediately it says in the Greek, sends an executioner, that's in Mark, and John's head was brought. It got delivered to the girl who gives it to mommy with a smile. John's forlorn disciples come and honor John and give him a proper burial. And then they went and told Jesus every last thing. Yes. For me, as soon as you mention Jesus in a story like this, uh, I'm like, oh, I'm so relieved. Just to hear his name. 
just to know there's some hope and there's some light and that there's some, a couple good guys in the story. Not everybody's wicked, right? You got some guys who are really taking their lives in their hands by going to that fortress there, Petra, and they're asking a deranged king who, 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 who killed their leader and because of a message that they themselves endorse. That took a lot of chutzpah. That took a lot of courage, right? But, you know, they're men of God. They're not afraid of those who could kill the body and then after that can do nothing, Matthew chapter 10. And so finally, some nobility enter the sons of light. Nice. So they go and ask the body for the body. They remind us of Joseph of Arimathea, don't they? Right? So Joseph was the secret disciple. He was a Pharisee and rich. And he goes to Pilate and he says, you know what? He's dead. Let me have the body. What was that like? What was that like, getting Jesus off the cross like that? Wrapping him up and hauling him off to his own cemetery plot. He said, listen, Lord, this is the family place. We're going to put you in here where my dad is. I'm going to let you have it, Lord. What was it like to show up? And they say, yeah, he's in the dungeon. What was that like for them? How did they sort that emotionally? How did they deal with that? Well, one thing they did is they went running to Jesus. That's what we do when all hell breaks. So they said, you go through a trauma like that, you go to Jesus and you tell him what happened. And what did Jesus tell them, do you think? And this is how we can bring our remarks to a close. Well, first of all, they're unloading their burden. They're unburdening their souls. And what a comfort it must have been to see his face after what they just did. They see the face of the Son of God, the eyes. Jesus knows what they need. He knows the tone of voice he needs to use. For everybody who comes to him with unspeakable grief and having been through blood-curdling things, he knows how to comfort their hearts and what to say, what they need to unburden their souls and heal them of their grief and sorrow. They tell them of their anger and their hate. How do we not hate these people who did that to John? He's got an answer for them, doesn't he? We will be like our father, gentlemen who is kind to the ungrateful and blesses the wicked until that day when he appears. And so I liked this old hymn when I was at Bethany Bible College way back when. An African couple, dirt poor, been through hell, they gave their testimony, and then they sang a cappella in perfect harmonies together. I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot bear these burdens alone. In my distress, he will kindly, he, in my distress, he kindly will help me. He ever cares and loves for his own. I still remember it like it was yesterday. What? Do you think he said, I, I think number one, he said, gentlemen, number one, thank you. On behalf of God the Father, I thank you for doing that. I know it took a lot of courage, and it was hard, but you won't lose your reward. He's always saying that to them. And then I, I think he says, uh, no need to fear Herod in life. Not a, not a hair on John's head was harmed. That's a quote. He tells his disciples, you're going to be killed, Matthew 10. You're going to be killed, some of you. He says this. And then he says, don't worry. Not a hair on your head will, will perish. I'm quoting Jesus. You're going to die. They're going to chop off your head, some of you. 
But don't worry, not a hair on your head will perish. In other words, the body goes, boom, you're standing there. And you're, you're like, what was that about? <laughs> you know? And, and you're there in the presence of God. So he, he comforts them with that truth. He says, John, John is saved with God in paradise. Jesus' word for heaven. So, yeah. And then he might help them think it through. John's death glorified God and God's purposes. And gentlemen, I imagine Jesus saying this, guys, leave the mysteries of how God can glorify himself through wicked and evil things. To allow the thing he hates to to bring about the thing he loves. Leave those details to God. That's called having faith. Like Job, who could say after his entire life and family are wiped out before his very eyes and he doesn't have anything, not even his health. He says, you know what? To his wife, be quiet. Shall we, not, or shall we only accept the good stuff from God and not the terrible things? And in all of this, here's what it says about Job. He didn't sin by what he said. He didn't accuse God of anything. He said, hey, naked I came in, naked I go out, blessed be the name of the Lord. And he left it all to God. He left it all to God. And I think he said, leave the details of this. Don't try to figure it out. You're never going to figure it out. How, do you, how would you figure that story out? How would you explain that? Well, actually, <laughs> there's no explaining it. It's just trusting God. That, that. And then finally, I think Jesus was saying, don't worry, gentlemen. Judgment day is coming. Oh, nobody gets away with anything. But every single person will bow the knee, confess with their mouth Jesus is Lord, and either be paid for and enter eternal life, or pay up for all of their sins, which would include every last thing that went down at that party and every party that they ever went to. Until then, he says, follow me. Go forward and shine your light, and everything's going to be all right. Let's pray together. Father God, we just thank you for your great love. We pray, God, that these truths that we have seen in the story would set our hearts free, teach us how to live closer to you, God, a way that keeps us safe, in a way that honors you, that when you appear, God, we would be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our current service is held on Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. 